Welcome to the ProcureTech podcast, bringing insight and inspiration into how digital technology is shaping our profession. I'm your host, James Meads, tea drinker, expat, and definitely not your typical consultant. And welcome to another episode of the ProcureTech podcast. And today I'm joined by Eddie Magiki, who is the managing director of a small analytics company called Seaforth Analytics based in Scotland. And Eddie has grown and developed a tool that really helps procurement professionals and procurement departments to get to grips with their spend analytics. And as most people, I guess, who are listening to this know, knowing what you spend is one of the absolute fundamentals of procurement. Before you get involved with any of the other shiny objects, this is real bread and butter stuff. So really interested to dig, uh, really interested to dive deep today with Eddie to understand more about his tool and some of his thoughts and insights on the ProcureTech industry in general. So, Eddie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, James. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to speaking to you. Great. Okay, so before we get started, maybe if you could just tell us really, really quickly about your journey, about how you came from, I guess, the procurement world or the corporate world into setting up your own company and, and what drove you to do it and what you learned along the way. So many years ago, um, when I was starting out um, and I decided to go to university and do an industrial engineering degree with manufacturing systems, and that sort of really underpinned what I was doing at the time. Um, and from there, I, I actually became a sponsored student from a company called Slimberger. I worked for Slimberger for about five or six years. So they sort of gave me an offer that I couldn't refuse, and that was to go and work for them straight after university in third year. So not even in fourth or fifth, in third year. So I was really blessed to get that opportunity. And I sort of worked in engineering, set up just-in-time manufacturing pods and cells. And then I was given the opportunity to come into procurement and sort of run that from cradle to grave all the way through by implementing just-in-time manufacturing. And that's what I did. We took inventory from something like, five million pounds down to 350k cash flow through the roof and that sort of gave me the impetus to sort of say actually I've done as much as I can here and then I went to join IBM and basically worked in IBM in the project management office introducing just-in-time procurement and basically from that I was hooked to done sourcing activities uh, supplier-based consolidation, cost savings, set-up technology, um, EDI, all, all of that sort of stuff. And then within IBM, they were purchased with Lenovo on an international assignment at, um, uh, at four departments at one time. Um, we had about 80 or 90 people across those areas. And um, I went on assignment to Bratislava. Um, he set up a, a new operations centre back in 2006. Came back from that, 2008. Um, from there, I went on to do Lean Six Sigma. So, And then what I realised is I'd done a black belt in Lean Six Sigma. And then what I actually realised is we were doing some work for Lenovo in terms of cost-saving analysis, network optimization. For those of you who don't know what it is, so to do logistics, 
and fulfilment cost, manufacturing value add, and we created an optimised piece of work that actually saved um, Lenovo tens of millions of pounds. And on the back of that, I was asked to head up a, a new forum team or to create a team for um, supply chain analytics ah. using all the experience that I've had from um, all the operations work that I've done, all the procurement work that I've done, all the ops jobs and like senior management and Bratislava. I was also the technical assistant to the site manager and basically you were on hand 24 hours a day and that was a great um, education and dealing with really um, senior stakeholders. So um, so it sounds like then it, it kind of came organically that you'd had all of this experience with with an engineering background and then working in manufacturing and then working in an outsourced services center and and then sort of being asked organically to develop that solution within a large corporate. I mean, that's almost the yeah. dream ticket in that you've got you've got someone backing you financially to give you proof of concept of of, of what you're trying to do. Yeah. And, and actually, not only did they, they, we take four people out their job, they basically said um, 25% of the time you can do what the heck you want as long as it's got a good outcome. <laughs> and that, believe it or not, I mean, it was really enlightened. Um, and we went on to do resource planning tools. So when volume is going up and many people, we need more work. Put this into context. Um, at that time, Lenovo had something like a 16 or 17 billion spend, global supply chain locations all over the world. Basically, we, we, we set up a, a small team to actually do supply chain modeling. We've done a thing called procurement risk management. We've done days of inventory optimization, a method of transport, air freight, sea freight. Um, you know, we, we also done some... Um, quite cool things with regards to technology. We worked with some of the most, uh, the world's leading experts on um, like network optimization and dynamic systems modeling and stuff like that. And really sort of paved the way for the big data aspect that Lenovo was working on at that time. So, I mean, with all of with all of that experience that you have, you've, you, you're obviously very, very well placed to answer this question. And I, I have my own thoughts on this as well. But, but for me, before a company invests in any type of technology that automates things like RFPs or compliance or bid analysis, negotiation, social responsibility, validation of savings, and I can go on and on and on, but it, you have to have the basics in place and be good to get your thoughts on this. But for me, they are having your vendor and material master data optimized. Spend data is obviously a big one. And then having some sort of automated or outsourced P2P process. So as your frontline procurement staff aren't spending all that time on administration. Uh, would you sort of concur with that or, or would you challenge that? Um there's a couple of things that in my locker, I would think. Um, a lot of people in procurement um, don't really understand technology a lot, if, if I'm being honest. And I don't mean that badly. What I mean is they don't understand what it can do for them. But a lot of people are actually too busy firefighting. They hear all this stuff, artificial intelligence, um, 
RPA and stuff like that. And if you actually go to the core of RPA, what you, you sort of hit the nail on the head there, a, a repetitive process uh, automation. And basically, if you can lean your system not to have that, then that's probably better than having something that copies three keystrokes and updates invoices and stuff like that. If you can re-engineer your process and actually think about that better, that could actually help save you in the long run. And I suppose the schooling that we had, that we were sort of given the rein, was was a great responsibility in terms of, you know, you guys do whatever the hell you want up to 25% of your time, but it needs to have an outcome. And I think one of the things that that, that um, companies struggle with today is they go, they hear all these buzzwords around, oh no, it's this, we need to do that, it's tail spend, it's mid tail, it's long tail, it's strategic sourcing, it's corporate responsibility. All of these things are all um, aspects of procurement, but when it comes to technology and the cost, some people may argue that procurement guys are at the lower end of the chain and in terms of they're seen as a cost and some guys don't even have a seat at the table. Yeah. At Lenovo and some of the other companies that I've worked with, they were on the board. The senior vice president for supply chain was on the board. It was seen as a value lever to actually increase margin and also help mitigate risk and keep continuity of supply. And it's obvious today when you see the implications today and what's what's about, what's just around the corner. But I also think in terms of technology, it's interesting because we've done a job a few years ago um, and normally when we go in, it's either the CFO or the MD or in some cases as the procurement, um, chief procurement officer that's asked us to, to help them. And what, what we note there is when we get invited in to help or try and understand the issues that they have, because of the work that we have done, it could be order to delivery, on-time delivery, it could be anything to do with the supply chain. We, we, we've got a product that looks at um, spend analytics, but equally such, we've got other products that we use and created like on-time delivery, show lead time improvement, what that does to the cash flow and stuff like that. So, when people are trying to automate things and, and get the biggest bang for the buck, a lot of people concentrate on the Pareto, top 80%, and then the rest is sort of funneled out within the organisation, and that's sort of sub-optimised, if at all. And I think there's loads of case studies and loads of published work that says, you know, as you move forward, you actually need to think about who you're buying from, where you're buying it from, what price you're paying for, etc. And in terms of technology, there's a piece of education that needs to get done, um, particularly with procurement people and the technical people. What what we find is techie guys talk techie stuff and procurement guys talk <laughs> procurement stuff. And and in in the middle there, finance talk a completely different language. And it's quite funny. We a couple of years ago. Normally, when you're doing these things, IT um, IT could be a, a barrier, shall we say, because it's data privacy and all the yeah, good stuff, yeah. which we've got systems for that and, and processes. But basically, they don't talk the same language. 
And it was funny because one of the clients that we were working for, they said, we've got a meeting with the techie guys. Are you coming to it? And we go, well, we're invited. Well, I'm inviting you now. And you go, thanks very much. And then about half an hour later, the techie guy phoned us and said, are you coming to this meeting we have with procurement? Because, <laughs> and I think that's where, that's one of the reasons why projects sort of don't get maybe the return that they should is because of lack of knowledge. Speak, even though they work for the same company, they have a different vocabulary and a different language. And I think the human factors and, and the implementation of these things are really, really important. Don't get yeah. them just for the fact that someone else has got them. You need to deliver a business need for it. So, so that's a, and, uh, so, sorry to, to break you off there, but that's a, I just want to expand on that a little bit because it's it's kind of gone down a slightly different route than I, than I was going to take it. But that's a, that's a very, very important point that you made because... We always think that getting some sort of technological solution implemented is usually a case of convincing a business unit director or VP or convincing a CFO. And and you hit on an important point there because I've experienced it myself that IT and getting IT involved in these projects is usually more of an afterthought around, well, okay, we need you guys to help us implement it. But you raised a good point when you said that it's almost like your role is being a translator between uh, the procurement function and the IT function, because not only have you got to convince your CFO, but if your IT people are on board and understand what you're trying to do, it sounds like what you're saying is they can be an important propagator of it rather than rather than a blocker. Yeah, and I'll give you an example on spend analytics. We've got a set of templates that we use when we go in because we know most ERP systems. We know the output from them. Most people say, oh, our data is rubbish. It's not the best. And that's probably because they, they're not data people. They're procurement people that are busy dealing with um, suppliers. They've got red hot issues, part shortages. They've got um, stakeholders to deal with. A lot, exceptional, exceptionally, a lot of people, some pockets within every company will have a data guy that everybody goes to every company has one i've right? had one in the past and as normally, well and he's always he, yeah, he was yeah. so knowledgeable that but but he was just wasn't valued within the organization as i guess from <laughs> listening to listening yeah, to the tone and, of your voice it's probably yeah you probably come across it all the time right yes and and what we try and do is we try and go and find that person in the organization and and most of the times they are valued but the the voice doesn't really get heard and actually, um, rather than run queries and stuff like that, we had an instance recently where the client said that, you know, the person's left the company and they run that query with the agent and said, there's the template, can we speak to your IT person that runs the query? And literally within hours, we had that. And now if we hadn't have asked for that, we'd have got maybe 130, 130 different reports to join together. And what we're saying is, no, let's let's have a look. So this goes back to our sort of heritage of, you know, try and find the source and work with the source. And then you can, it's easier to do that than it is to take all these multiple uh, files together. In some cases, we've worked on big, big, massive jobs where we've had to maybe take 40 or 50 different divisions individual spend because they couldn't uh, bring it together and we sort of blend it all together into one output 
and then we, once we've got that, we call it extract, transform, and load. And then the, the last piece is consumption. How do they consume it? How do they get it? So yeah, if if a lot of it is around just not understanding or missing aspects of the process to deliver value uh, who who would your typical clients be for what you're doing now with Seaforth who who would be the typical user of this would it be more aimed towards SMEs or do you also implement it into larger corporates as well so we created a piece of technology called accelerated insight and basically we we hired a young graduate from Glasgow uni we created a proof of concept. We have actually registered that with um, the Intellectual Property Office, so we've got a trademark for accelerated insight. But the, the whole point of that is when, when you've got data, the number one rule is plot it first, see what it says, does it make sense, does it bring it in? And this is why we get involved, we, 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 we get invited to help people because we're looking at it from up the point of view that we are procurement people that are having to deal with us. So our, our heritage is procurement, manufacturing operations, manufacturing fulfillment. So, or, or fulfillment. so, so you yeah. could kind of offer this to anybody that wants it. It's really just around the philosophy of how you would go about approaching the issue first off. And that's that doesn't really matter yeah. what type of type or size of company it is. No, but the bigger the company, the more um, maybe divisions that they have, the, the, if they've acquired. So we've done quite a bit of work with private equity where they have maybe four or five, six, seven different companies, but they're maybe banded under the head in retail right. um, where we've consolidated all of their different entity spends. One might be in SAP, one might be in Oracle, one might be in Dynamics, Matrix. <laughs> IBM systems, you name it, as, as long as we can get an extract from that, we can join it up and make it look as if it's a unified piece of work. And, and is that a one-time activity or do you integrate with ERP systems as well at the back end? Both. both. Um, in our initial engagement, we try and stay away from um, hard coding uh, extracts to ERP system for obvious reasons. Yeah. The reason being that you, you you want to get the trust in that. So that's why we sort of find the IT person. And we, we ask for an extract up front. We give them, here's what we're looking for. They come back and say, yeah, we can get all of that. Here's what it looks like. Or is, yeah, this is what we can get. And we go, right, well, give us your best shot at it or your best endeavours. Actually, 99 times out of 100, we actually get it to make sense. So despite people saying our data is rubbish, that is not true. What we try and do is bring the data together. We then analyze it and then we work with the subject matter expert, either them or finance and go, this is what this data is telling us. We always leave the raw data there. We'd never touch that. But our accelerated insight tool works on the basis of yeah, we've got some really heavy-duty um, analytics blending tools that we pay quite a hefty subscription for, and we sort of take um, like one of the clients that we've done, we took 150 monthly files and joined them together in a, as, as part of a large procurement transformation project a couple of years ago. Because we were dealing with 
senior vice president and executive director level. Um, as you can imagine, pretty hard bunch of people to deal with. And part of that whole dynamic that we had there was don't show us data just for the sake of showing me it. You have to tell me what to do with it. So everything that we create has what we call um, action-orientated insight. So what am I go now I've got this, what am I going to do with it? So, for example, in procurement, it might be, okay, I've got 50 suppliers in this space. We want to take 5% cost saving across the board. We've got a cost challenge. Every company has a cost challenge or a, a revenue stretch. Every company has it. Um, and it's how you then try and create initiatives and projects that sort of um, make that happen. And one of the things that we are really quite, in fact, very good at is, as part of Accelerated Insight now, a lot of companies really struggle with free tech. You know, so they've got stuff really well classified. You'll find that the top 80% stuff will be managed, but there's also surprises that you can find in there. And I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, because I, I certainly mean one, one of the areas that I've specialized in historically is, is MRO. Uh, and yeah. that especially is an area that has a lot of free text purchase orders. If, if anyone listening to this isn't aware of that term, just so as I'm not talking consultant speak to anyone that doesn't understand a free text po is basically any item or any purchase order that is not pulling data from a master data record so it's essentially anything that a requisitioner goes in and raises a purchase requisition and what is written on that purchase rec is essentially his or her free text description of what they want to buy so a classic example of this would be according to quote xyz123 which the requisitioner may make perfect sense to them but to me as the buyer or to a data analyst or to an accounts payable person that po description is absolute garbage so yeah talk us talk us through a little bit around how you deal with free text because this has been a real bugbear that i've had to deal with in the past with the whole garbage in garbage out issue that you get with that so one of the things that you, I think you spoke about at the beginning was like um, material masters, setting up stuff properly, um, putting in part numbers, putting in codes. Um, our, our system does many things. So the idea that we started off was, was go on the basis that we don't have a part number, go on the basis we have a supplier name and, and, and a value of the invoice or PO. And our, our technology analyzes all that and it actually then presents it. So, you know, you know your you, you know your subject matter on MRO, ball bearings, filters. These are sort of known um, things, but they might they may have part number descriptions in the text, or it might just say Joe Blogs as per quote one, two, three. And what we've what we've done over the years is developed a, a process for dealing with text. So, for example, um, most companies will have their own internal general ledger code. They'll have department um, cost center dates and stuff like that. But free text is the blind spot for everyone because they don't really have a handle on that, particularly when it comes to expenses and stuff. That's another whole ballpark by itself. Um, 
on what people are buying, the the the, the opportunity for some fraudulent activity. Um, I could talk about that as well. That when you talk about free text, you then oh, everything that we do, as I said, has to have an outcome and the so what. So the question you get, okay, you're showing me that so what, and you go well. Give you an example. A couple of years ago, we've done a piece of work. It fired up. So our, our, our tool gives every word a value in terms of pound notes. And this word appeared, uh, or this phrase, and it was called commitment fee. And nobody had a clue what it is. But because we plot the data really quickly, we click on it and we go, actually, this is all related to um, the financial services sector and particularly in terms of insurance. And they go, no, no way is that we're paying that amount of money for that. And we said, would we like you, would you like the purchase order or the invoice number? And they went and checked it and they found out that that should not be happening. And they got a rebate on that almost overnight. Now, I can't go into too much details on that. Yeah, but yeah, the, idea, yeah. the idea is that people have a preconceived notion of what good looks like. And what the data tells you sometimes throws up a surprise here and there. And that particular one was worth a surprise. But the big companies that we come head to head with in terms of selling analytics are threatened by the technology that we have. For one simple reason, it's agile, it's quick, and it gets to the point really quickly. So I'm talking about taking that whole cycle when you know when people have to do a spend analysis and all that, you could actually be sitting in the client within three or four days. Okay, you might not have it classified, but you're working through the high, the big ticket items with line item stuff, and you're building that mental picture when you're trying to build up your transformational process. The other thing that's very important for us as well is when we get data to help our clients, now some are boutique. Um, some are boutique um, uh, procurement consultancies. Some are what we call direct clients, where we just deal with them directly. Um, <clears throat> having that insight really quickly, rather than waiting in five or six weeks, which when you think about it, if you're a procurement consultancy company, you're waiting for some, the pressure is really on you to deliver low-hanging fruit, as it's called, or go yeah. and get yeah, they've got it. If yeah, if a, if a client's paying what a procurement consultancy would 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 charge, they they not only expect results pretty quickly, but they want to see evidence that it's likely to yield some return on yeah. investment. So yeah, no, I completely understand and, and, that. Yeah. So your your tool, uh, I was looking through your website, and you say and and you you claim that you can reduce spend in most categories between five and fifteen yeah. percent, and you know, as a practitioner, I think that's a, a pretty valid claim. But obviously, some categories are going to be more ripe for others in terms of being able to hit those numbers. So looking at a tool like Seaforth Analytics and the and the spend data that that can give with some of the AI and, and crunching data um, opportunities that you've developed, are there categories specifically that maybe are typically more ignored in more traditional procurement organizations that, that that are ripe for this type of tool. I mean, if you had if you had a broad range of, of categories that were being purchased, both direct and indirect, are there any areas that you typically see the lowest hanging fruit sort of over and over again repeatedly? Um, I think I think I would I wouldn't necessarily call it low hanging fruit, but areas of opportunity that you could go and look at. 
I think everywhere's fair game if you get into it deeply enough, whether it be through property, rent, lease, whether it be all the way through to um, buying parts, capex, all of that, because you've got all the procurement processes that go with that. And also when you consolidate your supply base, you know, I mean, when I worked years ago at Slumbersy, we had something like a thousand suppliers for a spend of like four or five million pounds. By the time I had sort of left and moved on, we had 200 and that was right across the board. But if you've got stuff with part numbers and engineering specs and things that you're buying on a day-to-day basis, like like, maybe PPE or uh, personal protective equipment, all the way through um, when we've done, you know, this company that we've done work for before said they've got global pricing on all their spare parts and when we actually analysed it, they didn't. They had a framework. They had a yeah. framework agreement in place that said, yeah. "Yeah, that gives you X percent discount, but you don't have an underlying yes, price list." Exactly. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> being that, being there, got yeah. the T-shirt. Well, <laughs> well, you know what, you know what I'm talking about. But and, but what that was showing was that these are parts that get bought globally. Um, most people thought, well, they've got a contract, and then we actually analysed it. The landed price into the UK was completely different from the landed price, say, into Singapore or, or, or whatever that yeah. uh, location might be. And I think... What What about direct materials, though, Eddie? Do you see much yeah. opportunity on direct yeah. materials? Because there's, there's so much suppressed negotiation already in there, especially if I if I hark back to my days in, in automotive. And if you've got something like a casting or a forging where maybe 70, 80% of the total price is is commodity is sort of is market traded commodities it's metal um how, how do you identify opportunity there well i'll give you an example it goes back then so one of the things we ask is what pricing model do you use yeah is it is it marginal costing so we we, to, we try and get some marginal costing in place which i.e is take away what you think the guy's making from it to much it costs him to get it to you and you can do some nice stuff with that um, our tool also, particularly on part numbers, looks at last price paid automatically, yep. automatically. Um, so when we tell it this is a part number, it goes through and looks at the last price, the, the last date in which it paid. It calculates, um, uh, does some stuff that shows the range of purchases that you're having. And if the last price paid is higher than the median price, it flags it up and says, go ahead and look at this. What caused that? Don't just put up a percentage, put a pound note, sign up. That's what gets everybody interested. Put pounds, dollars, whatever currency it is, put it in pound notes and show the impact because that is more telling than a percentage number. And it's how you actually go back to this, the, the thing. How do you tell the story or, data, or, or, or tell stories through use of data? Yeah, that's uh, that's absolutely. It's a sim- simple maths, isn't it? If you're saving thirty percent, but your spend's only a thousand pounds or euro or dollars, then it's much much smaller than if you're only spending one, uh, only saving one percent, but it's on a million dollar spend. Yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, what what I've also found is when you get young young people who know their stuff and you get them up and try and grow their confidence, all they need to do is get in front of a bad tempered exec, and that could be them sort of gap for <laughs> yeah. life. Which what yeah. which is what happened to me when I first joined IBM, 
Um, but I wasn't scared. I just used that to my advantage. But the point I'm trying to make there is I think that SIPs and the procurement, um, uh, forward-thinking procurement companies need to actually not put data scientist people within IT or in a shared servicing, but actually have them part of people's apprenticeships when they're doing their SIPs qualifications and learning to actually understand how 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 you get data, or you've got people that really want to understand it um, and and uh, to the nth degree um, and actually try and build um, the capability to do that. But I think you need, what's been taught on us, you need to grow your own apples and sort of uh, grow your own skills. And if you are, are in procurement then what you need to do is actually have your apprentices or people in your team that can actually uh, do that. And And I think that is a perfect note to end on. Data is always what gets you there. And I'm a, I, I, you're preaching to the converted Eddie, because I I strongly believe that without data, then you're not going to get very far in, in, in any, in any job really, or in any role. Um, Eddie, thank you very much for coming on. Just one quick last question: Where can they, where can, where can people find you if they want to learn more about what you do and the tool that you've developed? We've got two websites. Um, one is called Accelerated Insight, which gives you a little bit more about spend analytics, or also on a website called MySeaforth.com. Uh, you'll be able to find out some stuff there, or on LinkedIn. Just send me an, a LinkedIn message or email me or phone us and be more than happy to speak to you. Okay. So if you want to connect with Eddie, his last name is spelled M-C-G-E-A-C-H-I-E, just in case anyone didn't catch that when I introduced him. And yeah, check Eddie out. It's been really insightful learning more about your experience, Eddie, and what drove you to develop Seaforth and some of the insights that you've learned on a on a long and successful career and and really diving into how data can drive good decisions so uh, lots to take in and a, and a great conversation uh, I'm sure there'll be lots of questions from this because you raised a lot of relevant points which I think a lot of procurement organizations or procurement leaders haven't really got to grips with yet and which is really going to define our profession in over the next few years so thanks again Eddie and great to chat to you thank you wow so that was a lot of information from eddie and you know what sometimes interviews don't necessarily take the course that you expect them to and we kind of went down a little bit of a different tangent on this than i initially envisaged but i just let eddie just talk as much as he could because he's he was just throwing so many value bombs out there and so many golden nuggets of information to anyone that has a procurement or finance background around, you know, how to manage data and drive definite outcomes with, with what you're doing with it. So huge thank you to Eddie for coming on the show. I suspect that this one will be a pretty popular episode in terms of, certainly in terms of key learnings that, that listeners get from it. So I hope, like me, you learned a lot from uh, from that interview and getting to pick Eddie's brain for half an hour. So a little bit longer than our usual episodes, but I hope you got the value from it. The next two guests that we've got on the ProcureTech podcast 
are actually quite complementary to the interview that we did with Eddie. So we're going to be interviewing next uh, Stephanie Lapierre from Tealbook and Susan Walsh, who is the data classification guru. And both of those interviews are sort of kind of sim on a similar vein to what Eddie was talking about, and that is the importance of good data and how having good data and having the tools that can give you that can help drive results. Catch you again next time and speak to you soon. Cheers. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the ProcureTech podcast. If you like the show, then please subscribe or even better, why not write us a quick review on Apple Podcasts? It would not only really make my day, but it would also help our mission to enable procurement and finance leaders to become more data-driven through the power of digital transformation.